All right, well, good morning, everyone. Whoa, good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Yes, somewhere out there, everyone is. Yes, good to see you guys. Welcome to the well here at STSA. We're happy that you are here today. We are continuing a series that we started two weeks ago called Building Blocks, A Life of Prayer. And what we are talking about in this series is about a subject which we all know that we need more of and we need better of, but we kind of resist doing. Like there isn't a person who shows up at church of all places that doesn't believe in the importance of prayer. And there isn't a person who doesn't know they need more prayer, they need better prayer, they need to do a better job at it. But what we have seen here is that we all struggle with something, we resist something that we yearn for so much. And this is the conflict that we have right here. Like we desire prayer so much because we know it's so important and we know we need it and we know it gets stuff done. And we know that all the problems in the universe are solved by prayer. Like if people were praying, then the world wouldn't look the same way. My house wouldn't look the same way. My kids wouldn't look the same way. I might not look the same way, but yet we resist it so much. And the reason why what we're talking about here in this series is we're trying to reframe prayer. And prayer is less of an act we do and more of a house that we build. That's kind of the premise of this series. The prayer is less of an act that we do, an end in and of itself, and prayer is more of a means to an end. It's a house that we build, but the goal is to meet with God. And what we're talking about here in this series is that this house called prayer, if we build it the proper way, if we build a house of prayer with all the right rooms and all the right dimensions, prayer just simply becomes a meeting place. It becomes a place where I build it right and I make sure that this place is built right and then I show up and I trust that if I continue to show up and I built it right, that God will show up and that God will meet me and that he will always come in when I build it the proper way, like they said in the movie, Field of Dreams, if you build it, he will come. And that's the premise of this series, which we're talking about. The goal is to build a home to meet with God on a regular basis. Now, one of the questions that often stops us from praying I don't know, it may be a legitimate question for some of us. For some of us, it may be an excuse. You call it what you want. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt and say it's a legitimate question. We talked about this in my life group this past uh, Wednesday night, okay? And I'm sure if you're in the life group and you discussed obstacles to prayer, you would discuss this too. And the question is, is prayer effective? Does prayer do anything? Does prayer change anything? Like I prayed for something before and nothing really happened. And now you're telling me to pray again so that nothing can happen again. Well, we might as well just like cut out the middleman and I might as well just sit and watch TV. If either way, nothing is gonna happen. Does prayer do anything? Does prayer change anything? I prayed for my son. I prayed for my daughter. I prayed for my wife. I prayed for a wife, okay? I prayed for many, many things. I prayed for the world. I prayed for peace. I prayed for war. I prayed for all these different things. And does prayer change anything? Well, I would say... One of the discussions that we had in our life group was, was, a, was a great discussion, and I think it kind of sometimes falls along male and female gender lines, but not necessarily. But we talked about how some of us, me especially, tend to focus on prayer as a task, and those who get prayer right tend to focus on prayer as a relationship. Like, is prayer a task to get something done? Most of the men said, yes, it is. And that's, for, that's why we don't pray unless we need something done. So if I don't need anything done, we tend not to pray. Whereas is, is prayer a task or is it a relationship which is time to spend with someone? So I would say it this way. Does prayer change stuff? I would say yes, but not the stuff that you may think. Prayer doesn't change things. It changes us. Prayer doesn't change stuff. It may change stuff. I'm not saying it doesn't. But what I'm saying is maybe the goal of prayer needs to be reframed in our mind 
And the goal is not to say prayers and stuff happens. That's kind of what we do. All right, I'm going to pray for this situation, then stuff is going to happen. I prayed, nothing happened, I'm not going to pray again. We need to reframe prayer and say maybe it's not the goal is to pray and then stuff changes. Maybe the goal is to pray and then I change. Maybe the goal of God changing and transforming isn't outside, but maybe it's inside, inside me. Last week, we looked at the first room in the house of prayer, which is simple prayer. And that is cast all your care upon him for he cares for you. That's the kind of prayer we love. That's the family room of the house of prayer. The kick off your shoes, come one, come all, just laid back. You don't got to do anything fancy. It's just come as you are. That's the family room. That's the, that's the room that we grew up in. But then when you get older, you graduate to the living room. Remember the living room, the room that you weren't allowed to go in? Okay, your parents invited the people over. You knew it was like serious business when they went to that room, the living room, the uncomfortable room, okay, with the, the funny paintings and stuff like that. Well, today, we're moving to the living room of the house of prayer, and some of us will be tempted to say, no, 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 let's just stick in the family room. The family room is great, it's comfy, it's cozy. But I'm trying to convince you today that a house of prayer with a family room, without a living room, is gonna be incomplete. And what we're gonna talk about today is not simple prayer, but structured prayer. And as soon as I say structured, I know where the minds go. So let me just jump straight in right here and start diffusing all the stuff that goes, the bells and the whistles that say, I don't like structured prayer. Just hold on with me. Give me a few minutes to try to convince you otherwise. At the beginning of the spiritual life, something that I believe and something hopefully you've tasted, there's a honeymoon phase with God. At the beginning of the spiritual life, there's always the honeymoon. And this is God's way of encouraging us. So oftentimes I know for sure with me and I've seen it with so many others, at the beginning, when you first come back to God, like you were far away from God and then you got touched by that sermon or you went on that retreat or you read that book and you came back to God and you're like, okay, I'm gonna pray. And then all of a sudden something happens. You're like, this is so cool. And then you pray for something else and then more stuff happens. This is so cool. And stuff is happening. And you're not like an expert at prayer, but in your mind, yes, you are because stuff is happening. And all these people who say nothing happens, you're like, come join me because let me teach you how it's done because I'm an expert. At the beginning of your spiritual life, God does with our prayers like a parent does with his child when they start learning how to play the flute. When your child starts to learn how to play the flute, what do you automatically say to them? They make noises and only God knows what those noises are. And what do you say to them? Or you're like, that's awful. That's the worst thing I've ever heard. What do you say? You say, hey, and you pull out the camera, and you, you know what I mean? And you say, that's great, you know, little Beethoven, little, little Mozart, little whatever it be, and it's awful. Like in an objective sense, it's awful. It shouldn't be allowed. <laughs> but you do that to encourage them. I feel like God is the same way. When we start off praying, we pray very selfishly. Give me this, give me this, change this. We pray very me-focused prayers. And God, to encourage us, our pathetic little, weak little prayers, God's like, okay, good job. Okay, and I'll take that. Like I said last week with the kids' artwork, we put it on the fridge. Okay, that's very, very good. And God is encouraging us and he's encouraging us. But there comes a point in time where someone needs to tell the little pianist, the little flutist, that that's not how you play. And it comes a point in time in our prayers where I'm not negating what I said last week, I'm adding on top of it. That's the whole model of the house is that we need all of the rooms. I'm not negating, I'm adding on top of. Where God tells us that it's time for our prayer life to take the next step up. God accepts us exactly as we are, but because he loves us, he pushes us to a higher level. And that higher level is not to pray me focused only. That higher level is to be able to pray when God says yes and gives me stuff, 
and to be able to also pray when God says nothing and doesn't give me stuff or when he says flat out no. To be able to pray when I'm feeling it and to also pray when I'm not feeling it. That's a higher level of maturity that God wants us to grow into. I'm not negating what I said last week. Simple prayer is the foundation of prayer. Cast your care upon him. But it's time for us to take the next step up in maturity. And that gets us to structured prayer, which is praying when you don't feel like praying. Praying when you're not getting results. God wants to teach us that he is less Santa Claus and more Heavenly Father. Santa Claus, you ask, you get. That's it. Dad, you ask, sometimes you don't get. Sometimes you don't ask and you get. And sometimes there's no fun and there's no toys and it's just straight lecture, teaching, whatever it may be. Like sometimes there's more to your relationship with your father than just getting stuff, asking and getting stuff, a Santa Claus relationship. God is the same way. Let me ask you this. If we are all children of God, what is God's goal for his children? What is God's goal for his children? What does God want from us? What does God desire from me and from you? Like, what's his goal? You have to know the goal. Because if you don't know the goal, imagine somebody in medical school and they don't know the goal. Like, hey, what are you doing here? Like, hey, you know, I play basketball on Tuesdays. You know what I mean? I party on Fridays. Okay, but th those are great. But what's your, like, your goal? Yeah, you know, maybe, you know, I show up at a class. No, your goal, you're not going to make it through it unless you know your goal is to become a doctor one day and you're always driving towards that. I want to be a doctor one day. Well, let me ask you a question. What are you driving towards in your spiritual life? What are you aiming for? Don't say heaven. Because if you say you're driving towards heaven, that you want to run across that street with your eyes closed, then you'll get there very soon. What are you driving for on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, we have the answer right here. St. Paul tells us what we should all be driving for, what God is driving us towards, Romans 8, 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. St. Paul says, God has a clear goal for us. Well, God, what is your goal for man? Is your goal that we pray? Is your goal that we, that we fast? Is your goal that we, that we uh, go to church? Is your goal that we learn like a thousand and one uses for tofu during Lent? Like, what's your goal for us? And he says very clearly, the goal of life is be like Jesus. That's the goal. There's Christ. That's the goal. In medical school, you're always thinking, I want to be a doctor. Law school, you're always thinking, I want to be a lawyer. Christianity, you're always thinking, I want to be Christ. I want to be like Jesus. How did Jesus treat his parents? That's how I want to treat my parents. How did Jesus treat his neighbors? That's how I want to treat my neighbor. How did Jesus pray? That's how I want to pray. How did Jesus deal with temptation from the evil one? That's how I want to deal with temptation from the evil one. How did Jesus deal with his enemies? That's how I want to deal with my enemies. The goal of everything we do in Christianity is driving towards that point of who is Jesus and our goal is to be like him. You see, the defining characteristic of mankind, of humanity, is that we were made in the image of God. You and me, we were created when God created us. Genesis chapter one, he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So God made them male and female in his image, he created them. You and I were made in the image of God. And if you wanna know what your life is supposed to look like, if you wanna know what this thing right here, man, woman is supposed to look like, then you go to Christ and you say, that's what it's supposed to be. Imagine a house that you go drive by a house today and that house looks awful and it's beaten up and it's got graffiti and, and, and someone put a hole in the wall and you say, the architect who designed that house is awful. Look at the, how disgusting the house is. The architect must be awful. Is it the architect that's awful? Or is it that the house has been vandalized? 
That's not how the architect designed it. If you want to know the architect, go back before the vandalism. And same thing with me and you. Me and you, this isn't what we're supposed to look like. This has been corrupted. Because the way God created us, image of, image of God, that image has been stained. Think of it like graffiti. The what God designed, designed has been graffiti. Graffiti with what? Graffiti with murder. Graffiti with lies. Graffiti with racism and bigotry. Graffiti with gossip and lust and selfishness. All that stuff that you see outside, that's not how God created it. God created it a perfect house, just like Christ. But graffiti and vandalism, and now the thing has been broken. And God's goal is to get us back to that perfect image, to get us back to the way it started. Image of God, image of Christ. That's why Christ came to earth. A church father from the fourth century, St. Gregory of Nazianzus said this. He said, let us become like Christ. Since Christ became like us, let us become gods for his sake, since he for ours became man. Let us become like Christ because Christ became like us. He came to be, like as we always say, he took what is ours so that I could have what is his. The rich became poor so that the poor could become rich. Christ became me so that me could become him. And this is the goal of what God is always driving us towards. Now, how does that happen? If that's the goal, to become like Christ, everyone agree on that's the goal. How does that happen? Do you think that will happen overnight? Like you think you can go home today, say a nice prayer, and then boom, you're like Christ. Check mark. Be like Christ. Like we talked last week about check marks. Wake up, eat breakfast, be like Christ. Check, check, check. Done. You think you could like spend a whole night in prayer and all of a sudden you're like Christ and that's it, you're done. Don't confuse two things. There's a difference between conversion and maturity. Conversion happens in a moment. Samaritan woman met Jesus by the well and she was converted. But don't be foolish enough to think that she was mature at that moment. Conversion or birth into the house of God and the family of God, yes, happens in a moment. But maturity takes a lifetime, as with anything else in life. A child being born is not the same, is not the same as a child growing and being mature. A person signing up for medical school on first day is, or accepted into medical school is not the same as a person being a doctor. A person joining a gym on January 1st is not the same as someone who's ready to sign up for World's Strongest Man competition. Like there's a difference between the start and the finish. And what I say to you is the start, that's great. But I'm saying we need to start driving towards the finish. We all want mature spiritual lives. We all want to be able to handle the storms of this world. We all want to be able, as we sang a minute ago, to trust in you when we got nothing else, when everything else is falling around. We want joy when there's trials. We want peace in the storm. We want love in the face of hate. We want all those things. That stuff doesn't come overnight. That stuff takes a lifetime to achieve. Uh, one author wrote it nicely. He said, when God wants to build a mushroom, overnight. When God wants to build an oak tree, that takes years. And my question to you, careful how you answer, because I'm going to challenge you in a minute if you answer the right way. Do you want to be spiritually a mushroom or an oak tree? You want your spiritual life to be a mushroom that the first gust of wind blows it down? Or you want it to be an oak tree? The kind like in my backyard where it seemed like a tornado the other day that stood strong in the face of the wind 
And you want to be an oak tree that when the world blows at you, when there's hate out there, when there's murder out there, when there's evil out there, when there's storms and when there's trials, that you stand strong. Oak tree. Well, if that's what you want, that's what I want. That's not going to happen overnight. Any long-term growth, maturity, transformation requires the same thing. If you want to transform your body, if you want to transform like your grades, you want to transform your marriage, all require the same thing. And that is this. Transformation requires consistent habits. Anybody care to disagree with me on this point? Transformation in any area requires consistent habits. Not one time, not two times. Consistent habits. You want to change that D to an A? You need to change some of your habits. You need to change how you spend your Friday nights. You need to change how you study. You need to change how you go to class. You need to go to class. Like you need to change your habits. You want to change your physical appearance. You need to change what you eat in the morning, what you eat in the lunch, what you eat in the snack, what you eat in the dinner. You need to change what you do after work. You need to change your habits. You want to change your marriage. Then you need to be committed to habit changing on a regular, consistent basis. Same thing when it comes to you want to be Christ. You must be committed to changing your habits and consistency in your habits. St. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. St. Peter is saying, if you're going to build a spiritual house, house of prayer, it's one stone at a time. And notice how St. Peter connected those stones of the house of, of, of the spiritual house that we're building up. He connected it to the priesthood and he connected it to the, the system of sacrifices in the Old Testament. What was the sacrifice system in the Old Testament? How was worship done in the Old Testament? Whenever you felt like it, whenever you felt inspired from the bottom of your heart, like in the Old Testament, it was very, very prescribed. And it was very much told to them that this is how you should worship at set times, in set ways, with set prayers. And it was very, very much detailed and written out for them. So that gets me to what structured prayer is. And I'm going to say what I'm about to say. And then y'all get the tomatoes out and ready to start throwing them at me. Right? We need structured prayer. Set times and set words. We need. Last week I said simple prayer. Anytime you want, whatever is on your heart, cast all your care upon him. I'm not negating that. I'm adding on top of that. We need to pray whenever God moves in our hearts. But we also need to pray when God doesn't move in our hearts. And we also need to pray when we're not inspired to pray. And we also need to pray when we don't feel like praying. And we need to have set times of prayer and set words that we offer in prayer. Now, let me just jump right in and, and just kind of, I know where your mind is going. I say structured and all of a sudden you have a bad taste in your mouth. No, 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 that's legalistic. No, 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 that's Old Testament. No, 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 that's not sincere. That's not spirit led. That's ritualistic. We respond to structured prayer the way a child responds to bedtime. He hears the word bedtime and he runs for his life. No, 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 I don't want it. And we just start throwing a temper tantrum. Let me ask you a question. I say structured prayer and you say that's ritualistic. Why is ritualistic such a bad word? Who made it a bad word in our society today? Why I say ritual and you say, no, 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 that's Old Testament, that's bad, that's bad, that's bad. You know what ritual is? Ritual just means something you do over and over and over and over. That's all it means. And I'm telling you, that you have tons of rituals in life. Every single morning, you have a ritual. Or do you, let me ask you, do you every morning get up and say, should I brush my teeth today or should I? Like every day, you wake up, 
You go to the bathroom, you brush the teeth, you, you have your ritual. You do the exact same thing. You come downstairs, you get the coffee, or you stop by the Starbucks and you pay an, an extraordinary amount. Like you have your morning ritual. You get to the office, you do the exact same thing every single day. You put your pad down here, you check your email, you check your face. Like you have rituals that you do. Rituals are not bad. Change the word if it, if it bothers you. Call it habits. That's all a ritual is. It's something that we do over and over and over and over and over again because we've decided this is something that's good for us and something that's good to help us achieve our goal. Some say having a ritual is meaningless. If prayer is ritual, it's meaningless. Is it meaningless if I have a ritual that every day when I drop my kids off of school, I say, I love you? Is that meaningless? It's a ritual. I don't do that, by the way, but just, just um, other parents probably do it. Mine and my, I usually drop them off and mine is always like, we're always like running, like cutting it close. Mine's always run, run, run before they close the door, run. But let's say my ritual was, let's say we were on time and my ritual was, I love you, Michael. I love you, Lizzie. No, that's ritual. That's insincere. It's meaningless. Well, that's up to you to decide if it's meaningless. The ritual doesn't make it meaningless. That's a good ritual to have. Ritual only merely provides the structure or the context and the meaning is up to me to provide or not provide. And before you criticize set prayers and set times for prayer too much, before you jump and start criticizing, realize this, who was the first person to prescribe set prayers at set times in set ways? God. Before you criticize too sharply, read this passage from Exodus chapter 29, starting in verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer. Listen carefully. This is what you shall offer. I'm not asking you what you're going to offer. I'm not giving you the choice here. I'm telling you, you're going to offer this. Two lambs on the first year, day by day continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. Notice he's prescribing both the what and the when. He's telling them when to offer and what to offer. He's being very clear. And we go to some detail right here. We'll go through this quick. With one lamb, it shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine as a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight. You shall offer it with a grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning for a sweet aroma and offering made by fire to the Lord. I bring that to you. What spiritual relevance can you, can you gather from this than one-fourth of a hen of pressed oil and one-fourth of a hen of wine? What he's saying is God has specific things that he wants. He's not leaving it up to say, yeah, quarter, a half, you know, a pinch of, like he's not saying it that way. He's being very, very specific. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle meeting before the Lord. This is where I will meet you. The structure, the ritual, this is where I will meet you to speak with you. And I will meet, and there I will meet with the children of Israel and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. Now, some of you say, okay, this is Old Testament. This is Old Testament. Uh, excuse me. It was the God of the Old Testament. Like, is he different? Like the God of the Old Testament, like handed over the keys to another God and said, okay, now you take over the New Testament. It's the same God. And yes, while the what may change, the principle behind it doesn't change. So like in the Old Testament, God said, kill a lamb and kill a dove and kill a whatever and offer this sacrifice. What we do, the details of the sacrifice have for sure changed. They've been fulfilled in Christ. But the principle behind the sacrifice still exists, that you should offer me something and that you should sacrifice things that are precious to you and you should not appear before God empty-handed. So the what may change, but the principle doesn't. So the what of how they worship God at set times and what they did, that may have changed, but the principle remains. Set times, set rituals. 
even if you look at when Christ yelled at the Pharisees and scolded them. He did not scold them for their rituals. He did not scold them for their repetition in prayer. He scolded them for their vain repetition. He didn't, he wouldn't scold, you wouldn't, my wife doesn't scold me for saying I love you to my kids. She scolded me for saying I love you while I'm listening to the radio or checking my Facebook or whatever it may be. She's not, she's not gonna scold me for the ritual. She's gonna scold me for it being in vain and not being full-hearted. But the ritual itself, Jesus actually has said this to the Pharisees. He said, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. He didn't say, do this instead of this. He said, you want simple prayer? I agree, but you should do this on top of this, not instead of this. And we need the same thing. Why? Because structured prayer, the number one problem, trust me on this one, the number one problem that you and I have with prayer, structured prayer solves. The number one problem you have with prayer, structured prayer solves. The number one problem that you have with prayer, structured prayer solves. And that is this, consistency and balance. This is what we lack. We lack consistency and balance in our prayer life. As a parent with a child, parents, you raise your child and they start to grow teeth. So you tell them you have to brush those teeth. You just tell them, here's a toothbrush. Go ahead and do what you want. Go ahead and like figure it out. Like, you know, you wanna use this end or that end. Like you wanna stick it in your, like whatever. No, you as a parent, you've discovered the optimal way to brush one's teeth. Circles, okay, quadrants, 30 seconds on each one. Okay, does anyone else do this? Like quadrants, zone one, zone two, zone three, zone four. Okay, with a little bit of overlap, but not too much. And then maybe on the tongue to get the breath. You've discovered the optimum way that one should brush their teeth. And you prescribe it to them. You don't leave it up to them to say, you know what? Go ahead and figure it out. You wanna use toothpaste? You wanna use hairspray? You wanna stick it in your nose? Like whatever. You tell them, this is the right way. This is what you should do. You tell them how to eat. You say, this is what you should eat. This is what you shouldn't eat. You tell them what time to go to bed. You don't leave it to them to figure out. You have figured out that for them to reach the goal, healthy, mature, that they should brush their teeth this way. They should go to bed at this time. They should eat these foods. What would you call a person who only brushes their teeth when they feel inspired to do it? What would you call a person who only studies when they feel inspired to do it? Would you call a person who only showers and cleans themselves, who only eats vegetables? What would you call a person who only acts according to their feelings? You can say it. You call them a spoiled brat. You for sure would not call them mature adults because that's what children do. That's what spoiled kids do. What you would also say is that person is living a subpar life. His teeth for sure are subpar. His grades for sure are subpar. His health for sure is subpar. He's only hurting himself. There's a great book by a metropolitan in the Orthodox Church. His name is Metropolitan Anthony Bloom. He wrote a book called Beginning to Pray. One of my favorite books. You're looking for a book to inspire you on prayer, you go to Beginning to Pray. I've read this book probably seven or eight times in my life. Anytime my prayer life is down, I go back to Metropolitan Anthony's book, Beginning to Pray. And I'll bring you a quote that he talks about. He talks about spontaneous prayer and structured prayer. Spontaneous is like simple prayer. He says, spontaneous prayer, what we talked about last week, is possible in two situations. Either at moments when we have become vividly aware of God or the opposite extreme, when we become suddenly aware of the deathly danger in which we are when we come to God. So what he's saying is spontaneous, simple prayer is great. And it works when you are really inspired 
and you are in the presence of God, and you are feeling it, and you are feeling it, and that's the perfect time for simple prayer. At that time, don't do the structure. Go with it, because you are in heaven. And there's another time when you're actually on the opposite extreme, when you are in a deathly danger. But what about all the times in between? What about when you're not motivated to pray? What about when you don't feel any sense of urgency? What do you do in that situation? Well, he talks about it. He says, now if we imagine that we can sustain spontaneous prayer throughout our life, we're in childish delusion. Ouch. Spontaneous prayer must gush out of our souls. We cannot simply turn on a tap and get it out. It comes from the depth of our soul from either wonder or distress, but it does not come from the middle situation in which we are neither overwhelmed by the divine presence nor overwhelmed with a sense of who we are and the position in which we are. So at those moments, to try, listen carefully, to try to use a spontaneous prayer is a completely illusory exercise. Let me put that in your words. I don't know what to say when I pray. I know I should pray, I have nothing to say. I stand up and my mind goes blank, I'm distracted. Those are the words that you say and that I say why we don't pray. The whole point of structured prayer, it's great when you're feeling here or you're feeling here, do you go to the simple prayer? But there's times where you're right here. There's times you got nothing to say and times that your mind is distracted and at times it's late at night and you don't have any energy. Well, that's exactly what structured prayer is for, to give us words to say, to give us the ability to pray when we have nothing to say. And it gives us a structure, an outline, a context in which we can still commune with God through those structured prayers. You say, but they're not sincere because they're not my words. They're not sincere because they're not my words. Who says if the word you didn't invent it is not sincere? My wife may call me sweetheart. I may call her honey. We didn't make those words up. We saw it in a movie. She may, she may call me, you know, her favorite, of course, is stud muffin. I mean, that's what usually what she said, but I'm saying, you know, she don't like people to know that, so let's keep that between ourselves. That doesn't mean it's insincere just because she didn't invent the word. Like, you don't have to invent a new word every time that you want to say something sincere. You're relying on words that you heard and you put your own meaning to it. And let me tell you something else. Those of you who say, I only use my own words when I pray. I only pray my own words. Yet that's a lie. Because what you're saying when you're praying, you heard someone else pray. Maybe it was your pastor. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was in a movie. He said, that sounds spiritual. Let me use that in my next prayer meeting. Like whatever it may be, you're using the words that you heard from somebody else. You didn't make up the word father. You didn't make up the word Lord. So you're using somebody else's words anyway. And let me tell you this. I would rather use the words of a guy like King David who wrote the Psalms than the words of someone else that I heard someone else pray. You know why? Because I know where King David ends up. I know what God said about King David. He said, that's a man after my heart. So I would want to take his words. His words are good. Versus some words I heard from some guy in life group who was babbling a thousand miles an hour. He didn't say that it sounds good. I don't know where this guy is or where his heart is. I'm going to take words of someone that I know is tried and true. People who knew Christ and who heard Christ pray and then showed me their prayers. There's no correlation between structured and insincere. That is up to you. Second thing people will say, but when I pray with structured prayer, that means you're telling me to pray without thinking. You're telling me to pray without thinking. Well, yes and no. Yes and no, I am telling you to pray without thinking, yes and no. I'm telling you not, I'm not telling you not to think. I'm just trying to change what you think about. Structured prayer allows you to focus on the meaning, not the words. This is next level right here. This is game changer if you can figure this out. If you can get past the, but now I'm not thinking about the words. I'm just reading words, it's just words. If you can get past that, 
and you can free your mind to instead of having to come up with words to focus on the meaning of the words, then you go next level. Anytime we sing a new song here in the well, or we sing a song at a retreat or whatever it may be, the first time you hear a song, at least for me, maybe you're different, but for me, I can't focus on the meaning because I'm trying to learn the song and I'm trying to learn the words. And I'm trying to learn the melody and I'm trying to learn how it goes. And until I learn that stuff, my mind is not free because my mind is focused on, does it go this way or go this way? And this word, this word. And once I know it and I don't need to look at the words, now I can sing the words here and my mind, my mental energy is now here. And I can focus on the meaning of the words and not focus on like, what am I saying? But I can focus on what do I mean by what I'm saying? And that's when prayer takes on a different, different level. Let me show you some examples. Okay, I'm gonna show you some examples from the Psalms. This is from the first hour prayer, okay, in the book of ours. We'll talk about that in a second. Psalm 62. And look at this. I may not say these words, but I'm telling you, if you can get past the words and you can focus on the meaning, the words will be great for you. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Those words are not mine. I did not make those up. But those words perfectly capture something that's deep inside my heart that I could never have put into words like that. And they capture something inside your heart as well, that our hearts thirst for you, God, and long for you in a dry and weary land. Like now I'm not focused on how do I say this? Now I'm focused on these beautiful words and I'm in ingraining it inside me. Another word, another one right here from Psalm 69. Hasten, O God, to save me. O Lord, come quickly to help me. I am poor and needy. Come quickly to me, O God. This words right here perfectly captures the time in your life where you can't pray, where you can't pray and you can't stand before God and you feel like I got nothing in front of God and I don't know what to say, I don't know what to think, I got nothing. Psalm 69 puts words to that feeling. It says, God, save me, come to me quickly. I'm poor and I'm needy. Every prayer that you utter is a combination of spirit and form spirit and form the mechanics the form and then the spirit okay what's behind it the, the, the heart the words and then the meaning and i'm saying in structured prayer we are free from having to think about the words so we can devote all of our energy to the meaning so here's our challenge all that to set up our weekly challenge y'all ready for the challenge did i do a good job of convincing you that we need structured prayer they do a good job convincing you that structured prayer is not all that bad. Now we put our money where our mouth is. I'm going to challenge everyone this week. We have in the Coptic Orthodox Church, this book it's called the Book of Hours. Okay, or the Coptic word for it is Egbeya. It's a Coptic word just means hours. I'm going to challenge you. Every church has a Book of Hours. Okay, like the other Orthodox Church, Eastern Orthodox, they have their own Book of Hours. The Catholic Church has a Book of Hours. They also have the Rosary. Every church, traditional church, has Book of Hours. Because this has been the way of Christianity from the very beginning, is prescribed times to pray, prescribed things to pray. This has always been the way of Christianity. The idea of just pray without any kind of prayer book is a relatively new movement in Christianity. Okay, it's something over the past couple centuries, but it's not, it's not it's, it's, this is the way it's always been, a prayer book. I'm not saying this is the only way to pray, but I'm saying this is the book that's been given to us, but so whatever. This book contains seven times of prayer throughout the day, starting with the first hour, which would correspond to six o'clock in the morning. You don't have to pray at the exact hour, okay? But the first hour prayer traditionally was six o'clock in the morning, third hour, nine o'clock, sixth hour, noon, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, going all the way through midnight. Every prayer, okay, is a mix of mostly scripture, okay? It's probably 85% passages from scripture. 
New Testament gospel, Old Testament Psalms, okay, some litanies and some prayers that are all based on scripture. So it's mostly 85% is words coming straight from the Bible. I'm gonna challenge you that every day this week, you would pull out this book. And I know most of you don't even have this book. Most of you have never even seen a book like this, okay? Now I know it's on, okay, it's, uh, we, we, uh, you can get it on the STSA app, okay? Because most of us are phone and, but I'm telling you, I'm not a big fan of the phone prayers, but if you need to pray, at least put it on airplane mode when you start the prayer. Because the last thing you need is, you know, haste no God to save me. Oh, someone's gonna change their picture. <laughs> like that's the last thing you need. So at least put it on airplane mode. Go to the STSA app and there's a button called need prayer. If you go to the need prayer button, you'll see a link for book of hours and you can see the first hour, sixth, third, sixth, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The challenge is this, okay? The challenge is this, that just for this week, and if you hate it, never do it again, but just try it for this week. Three times a day, three whole times for a total of four minutes each time. So how many minutes is that total? 12, okay, four times three, okay. Four minutes at a time, okay, wait, yeah. Denominator six, yeah. Four times, four minutes, three times a day to so 12 minutes. Anybody want to stand here and say how they cannot sacrifice 12 minutes a day? You got 24 hours and anyone want to make the case that they are so busy, they don't have 12 minutes a day. And if you say, I'm so busy, I don't got 12 minutes a day, then you know what I would do? I would cut a, a half a minute off of each one of those and I would get you down to 10 and a half minutes, okay? If really that 12 is too much for you. But let's do our best for four minutes, three times a day. Now, some of you are already doing this plus more. Don't go backwards. Okay, don't go backwards. This is a starting point and we're moving up. My challenge to you is you pull this book out. And if you're in the morning at work at your desk, there's no reason why we waste a lot more time at work than just four minutes, okay? Several YouTube videos, video games, like we do more, much more than, worse than this. You pull out your little book of hours and you pray for four minutes. You don't have to finish the whole thing. Okay, you know what? You set the alarm. Set your alarm. And so, in case you're so worried about time, set the alarm on your phone, four minutes. And once that alarm beeps, in the middle of the sentence, just close it and say amen and go back to your wasting time at work. Four minutes, three times a day. Morning, sometime in the morning. Like it doesn't have to be first thing. First thing is great. Some first, maybe first thing in the morning when you get to the office, whatever it may be. Sometime in the middle of the day, be great. Before lunch, after lunch, okay? Staff meeting, like whatever you want to do, okay? And then one time in the evening after dinner, before dinner, before you sleep, whatever it may be. Can we do this just for this week? I'm telling you, if you stick with this consistent prayer, consistent prayer, consistent prayer, consistent prayer, consistent prayer, I'm telling you, is the means for long-term transformation. Consistency in every area. That's what we talked about earlier. Any goal in life that you want to achieve that's hard, the only way to get there is consistency in certain habits. You want to achieve, be like Jesus? You need consistency when it comes to prayer and structured prayer gives us the means to do so. There's a story in the Old Testament. You probably heard this story before if you grew up in church or if you've ever, if you read the Bible in the Old Testament, it's about Moses when he received the 10 commandments. You know, Moses did a lot of cool stuff in life. Part of the Red Sea, wiped those plagues all over Egypt, led the people into freedom. Like he did a lot of stuff. One of his biggest accomplishments, his most lasting that we still to this day look at is when he received the 10 commandments from God. Like he had a face-to-face -face conversation with God where God spoke to him and said, hey Moses, let me give you 10 things that I want you to tell the people to focus on. And he had that face-to-face -face with God. Well, if you've read the story, you know that when Moses received the 10 commandments, he was up on a mountain for 40 days. And during those 40 days, he neither ate nor drank for 40 days. He was in the presence of God. And when he came down, you would imagine after 40 days in the presence of God, 
Moses was not the same. And it says that Moses' face was shining. Moses was transformed. Moses didn't look like himself. Moses wasn't acting like himself. Everybody saw Moses and they're like, Moses, something's wrong with you, Moses. Like we, 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 we never see Moses like this, not in a like weirdo kind of a way, but in a like majestic, royal, glorious kind of a way. What, what made Moses' face shine like that? What transformed Moses? What transformed him was 40 days face-to-face with God. You would imagine, think of in this situation, like, uh, 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 like getting a tan. You'd imagine 40 days face-to-face with the sun would do quite a bit to one's complexion. 40 days straight there. Okay, 20 here and 20 here, so you get the no lines. 40 days, straight face-to-face with that sun, round the clock. You're not going to look the same. You're going to look different. Look at this verse right here. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. St. Paul is giving a commentary on Moses at the top of that mountain and his face shining. And it says, but we all with unveiled face. Unveiled face because Moses, when he came down shining, he put a veil over his face because he was too shining. Okay, for the people. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror. Listen carefully. This part, it's kind of, it's difficult like the words, but follow me. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord. Face to face with God, his glory. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the spirit of the Lord. You catch what he's saying right there? He's saying, you want to look like Jesus. You want to look like Jesus. That's the goal of everything we do. How do you look like Jesus? The answer is you stare at him. The more time you spend staring at Jesus in his presence, the more you become like him. You're face to face with God. That's what happened to Moses. Face to face with God. He came down that mountain. He didn't look the same. He was transformed. You want to know why we look the same? Week after week, we go to church. We look the same. We've been doing this Bible thing for year after year after year. And we struggle with the same. You want to know why we're the same? It's because we don't spend enough time in the presence of God. You can't spend time in the presence of the sun, S-U-N, sun, and look the same. Forget, let's, let's, say, let's say tanning booth, okay? The more minutes in the tanning booth, the more different your complexion is going to look. And I'm telling you, prayer is our tanning booth. Prayer is our tanning booth. If you can do the simple prayer, the spontaneous prayer, all throughout your day, more power to you. I'm not good enough for that. I'll be honest, I confess, I can't do that. I struggle with that. I don't know what to say. I don't know how, I, I, I have no words. And sometimes in my mind, I don't have the words. So for me, I lean on structured prayer. And I rely on my structured prayer. Say, you know what? I don't want to pray. I want to sit and watch TV. But I need to pray. Because I need to be transformed. I need to be more like God. I need the hate to become love. I need the pride to become humility. I need the anxiety to become trust. And I know this stuff isn't going to happen overnight. It's not, please God, turn my anxiety into trust. It doesn't happen overnight. I know if I want my anxiety, my fear to become trust and faith, man, I need to be committed to regular consistency, face of God, face of God, face of God. And I trust that that's how transformation will take place for me and you. Here's our goal when it comes to structured prayer. Our goal in structured prayer is communion with the Father, that by the power of the Spirit, we could become the Son. The goal is not the prayer. Prayer is just the mechanism. Just like the goal is not the tanning booth. The goal is what happens inside the tanning booth. I trust that if I exercise consistently, it'll change my health. 
I trust that if I study consistently, it'll change my grades. I trust that I invest in my marriage consistently, it'll change the dynamic in my house. And I trust that if I pray consistently, that it'll change my spiritual life, my entire life, maybe even for all of eternity. Our challenge, three times a day, four minutes at a time. You wanna go overachiever, you go five minutes at a time. Are you really big time? You go six, seven minutes. And if you wanna add a fourth time in there, you get A plus. But our goal at a minimum, four minutes, three times a week. You get it on the STSA app, you get the book. If you're old school like me, you go analog. We need to spend time in the presence of God consistently. Family room, simple prayer was great. We love the family room. That's the most comfortable room in the house. But structured, the living room. We may not like it, but we need it because that's the only way to take the next step and become like Christ. Let's stand together for a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us a means to pray when we don't know how to pray or what to pray for. And we ask, Lord, that this week that you'd give us like the discipline that we need, even if we're, if we're like hesitant and we're resisting and we, we just don't want to do it. Give us the discipline just to try it for one week. And I pray, Lord, that just like when we said in the beginning, like the little child with the flute and you encourage, pray that you would encourage us and when it comes to prayer to be consistent and that we could be like Moses shining from spending our time with you. We ask this in the name of your son with the prayers of all your saints. Here says, we pray thankfully, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen.